0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at tiaa.org/promises pay I'm Rufus Griscom, and this is The Next Big Idea. Today, number 18 in our countdown of the top 22 books of last year, chosen by users of our Next Big Idea app. What does it take to be a great CEO? No, really, how the heck do you do it? I'm asking not just because I'm somehow lucky enough to be CEO of the Next Big Idea Club. It's also the subject of the new book, The CEO Test, Master the Challenges that Make or Break All Leaders by Adam Bryant and Kevin Scherer. These guys know what they're talking about. Adam wrote the corner office column for the New York Times, wonderful column, and has interviewed hundreds of executives about how they lead. His co-author, Kevin Scherer, spent over two decades as CEO of the multinational pharmaceutical company Amgen. Together, they offer both theoretical and practical knowledge to anyone trying to succeed in business. Here's Adam with five ideas from the book.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Adam Bryant. I'm a co-author of our new book, The CEO Test, Master the Challenges that Make or Break All Leaders. I was thrilled to work on this project with Kevin Scherer, the former CEO of Amgen, the giant biotech company. We combined the breadth of my 600-plus interviews with CEOs that I've conducted as a New York Times journalist and now as a leadership consultant with American Company. We combined that with Kevin's deep experience as a chief executive, board director, and mentor to global CEOs. Our book isn't just for CEOs. It's about the core challenges that all leaders face and we provide a practical playbook on how to navigate those universal challenges. We really wanted to create a kind of simple and shared language around leadership and also give people a sense of what they should focus on as a leader. that's gonna have the greatest impact. We like to think of leadership in terms of ROI, return on investment. If you're going to spend time and effort to become a better leader, where will you see the biggest bang for your energy buck? Those are the questions we tried to answer. So I wanna share with you five of the big ideas from our book, which we frame as kind of tests. Big idea number one, can you develop a simple plan for your strategy? One of the core skills of effective leadership is to be able to simplify complexity, particularly about the strategy, so that a leader can answer the kind of questions that little kids ask in the back seat, Like, where are we going? How are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? While that may all sound pretty self-evident, many leaders struggle with articulating their strategy because they have trouble distilling all the complexities of the business and the industry down to a simple plan. As a result, strategies are often way too complicated and employees can't remember them or those plans are too general and they describe what a company does rather than what it is trying to accomplish and achieve. This is a crucial art form of leadership because without a clear and simple plan, organizations are going to struggle. It's like the cornerstone of the foundation. It has to be solid if an organization is going to succeed. And the leaders who know how to do this include people like Bob Iger of Disney, who from the day he took over as CEO of the company has relentlessly repeated the three key pillars of his strategy. First is to produce great content. Second is to expand globally. And third is to embrace new technologies in all their forms, like the new streaming technology. You know, the joke inside Disney is that if you ask Bob Iger how is your vacation, he is going to tell you produce great content, expand globally, and embracing new technologies. He understands the power of relentless repetition. Now, those three pillars may sound obvious, but that is also a hallmark of a well-articulated strategy. They often do sound obvious, but they are also specific. They are in that sweet spot. And those three goals, those three pillars have been the backbone of Disney's growth under Iger's leadership and have been consistent and have been the through line for all the initiatives that the company has taken as it's grown over the years. Big idea number two, can you make the culture real and matter? Now, corporate culture, as we all know, is this kind of amorphous idea. It's fuzzy. People have different opinions on what it means. There's also a lot of approaches on how to build a culture. There's no right answer per se. But as we discuss culture, let's use what I like to call the good movie version of how to do it and the bad movie version of how to do it. So let's start with what bad looks like. And unfortunately, it's all too common. The way this plays out is company leaders decide that they want to drop a list of values for their culture. And so they pull everyone together for an offsite and then they choose a bunch of words and phrases that are safe, but they're vague, like excellence and integrity. We've all seen these kind of lists. Then they put those words on the wall in the lobby at headquarters and maybe even print them on the back of employee badges. But then nobody talks about them or even remembers them. And the proverbial high-performing jerk inside the company is promoted even though his behavior directly contradicts the stated values. People notice that makes them cynical and cynicism can spread like a cancer through a company. And again, this is all too common. But now let's shift to the good movie version of how culture can play out. The leaders understand just how important that list of values can be, and they work hard to choose values that are specific and describe the unique DNA of the company. They then build those values into every touchpoint in the employee experience, whether it's hiring or onboarding, the quarterly and annual awards. And yes, the values are also used in decisions to fire that high-performing jerk. Most important, the leaders are always telling stories to bring those values to life and show why they are important to them personally and to the company overall. In our book, we use the Silicon Valley company Twilio as a case study of a strong culture. I really like one of their values in particular. It's called Draw the Owl. It comes from a tongue in cheek internet meme for how to draw an owl. And there's two panels. And in the first panel, it shows just kind of three overlapping circles, the rough shape of an owl. And then the second panel shows a fully rendered owl with the caption, Draw the rest of the owl. Now, I should say there's an expletive in there as well to just underscore that point. And the point of the meme, of course, is to just figure it out. Figure out the playbook yourself rather than following a pre-existing one. When it first appeared, the meme went viral inside the company, and Twilio even adopted the owl as its kind of mascot. It's a perfect example of letting the values emerge from a culture rather than imposing them on the culture. Big idea number three, can you build teams that are true teams? Let's use the good and bad movie version approach again to discuss how teams operate in organizations. Now, the bad movie version is that a team is formed, but it is a team in name only. People compete with each other for resources and attention. They get together for meetings with no real agenda other than taking turns to update the leader. And the leader sort of floats above it all, not taking any responsibility for how the team operates. This is more common than you might think. The good movie version, however, is that the leader and their team wrestle with the four key questions that need to be addressed. Why are we a team? Who should be on the team? How will the team work together? And what is the leader's role on the team? Now, that first question may sound obvious. Why are we a team? In fact, there is only one right answer to that question, which is to work together to tackle the big challenges that we can only solve together as a team. And the question of how the team will work together is interesting too. Many teams do have, let's face it, a kind of Game of Thrones dynamic, where people are looking for ways to take each other down. They see the world as a zero-sum game and they've got to win at somebody else's expense. So an explicit counterweight needs to be put in place to make sure people work together. At one company, for example, called ServiceNow, the leadership team wrote what they called a social contract for themselves about the behaviors they expect from one another. One of them is we work east-west, which means they try to solve problems with each other first rather than always bringing things north to the CEO to solve. And there are many other examples on that social contract, but the point is we want to have each other's back. That's what we hear from all leadership teams. We wanna have each other's back. So how do you make that real with specific behaviors that you expect from each other? Big idea number four, can you really listen? Now, business schools don't typically offer courses on listening, but I think they should because listening is an essential skill of leadership. And a big reason is that the higher up you move in an organization, the more you become trapped in a bubble because nobody wants to bring bad news to the boss. So leaders have to first be aware that they are in a bubble and that they shouldn't always trust the information they are getting. In this context, the cliche about no news is good news has to be flipped on its head. For leaders, no news is bad news because it means they are not hearing about the problems that exist in their company and every organization has problems. So the first step, as we said, is being aware that the bubble exists. And the second step is to take active measures to fight your way out of the bubble. That means really listening in one-on-one and team meetings and making sure that you're not distracted and that you're really listening to understand what the other person is saying. It's about having the discipline to be able to listen without judgments or agendas. Sounds obvious, not many people do it. It also means creating a kind of listening infrastructure in your organization so that you have direct lines of communication with people at all levels. That could mean setting up regular coffees for open-ended conversations with groups of employees. In the case of my co-author, Kevin Scher, when he was running Amgen, he included a question every year in the annual employee survey that said what do you think of the job that kevin is doing and he left an open field on the forum for people to share their opinions and when kevin would read them it was often at night with as he liked to say an adult beverage nearby to help the feedback go down big idea number five can you master the inner game of leadership in the first six chapters of the book we focus on what leaders do In the last chapter on the inner game of leadership, we address the challenge of how to be as a leader, because it is hard to lead people. There are so many demands on your time, and you are constantly being judged and second guessed. And when people are starting out as leaders, it can be hard to make sense of all the advice they hear and read, because so much of it is contradictory. Lead from the front, people like to say. Others say, no, no, lead from the back. Be confident and never let them see you sweat. No, you have to be vulnerable. Be optimistic, but also realistic. Create a sense of urgency, but also be patient. It can all become confusing noise in your head, leading to that dreaded phenomenon of paralysis by analysis. The best solution is to understand leadership as a series of paradoxes. These are not this or that approaches. It's about understanding them as and propositions. As a leader, you need to be compassionate and demanding. You need to be optimistic and realistic. You need to be urgent and patient. It's about recognizing that there is a balance point in those paradoxes and then adjusting to the needs of the moment. The best leaders are calm, confident, and credible. And you can just see it in their eyes. They understand that one of the keys to staying calm and confident while they are being barraged from every angle is to stay in those balance points amid the paradoxes. This is the final test of leadership. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the book.
0: Thank you, Adam. Clearly, I missed a couple classes in CEO school. For one thing, I've got to try setting up a listening infrastructure in the office to make sure the team and I are really hearing one another and not just talking at each other. If you want to learn more about the book, visit adambryantbooks.com. There's also a link in the episode notes. And if you can't wait until tomorrow to hear your next book bite, then you should give the Next Big Idea app a whirl. We have hundreds of book bites in there, and we're adding new ones every single weekday. There is no better way to get smart fast. With book bites, you can read a book in the time it takes to walk your French poodle. Just search for Next Big Idea in your app store. On our next episode, why do funny people live longer and make more money? I'm your host, Rufus Griscom. See you tomorrow.